Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. I'm Sarah Willis, horn player by trade and also a passionate podcaster. So whenever I'm not playing my French horn somewhere around the world, I love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My guest today released his first album with Deutsche Grammophon at aged only 14. His new album with DG is called Iconic and is a tribute to the golden era violinists of the 20th century who have all been a great source of inspiration for him. My guest has said that all these iconic pieces on the album have shaped his musical thinking and so today I'm going to find out more. And here he is. I'm so happy to welcome the fabulous David Garrett to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. David, so good to see you again. Good to see you too, Sarah. Pleasure talking to you. And congratulations. Really iconic. It's it's iconic. What else can I say about it? Well, I, I appreciate the compliment. We just literally released it and I am looking forward to doing some promo uh, for it. I think it turned out to be a very classy, um, a very emotional and uh, a very beautiful album. And I'm very proud of it. Yeah, so you should be. Actually, when I listened to it, I imagined you being on tour with it because I wanted to stand up and applaud after every single piece. And for, <laughs> the, for, the, <laughs> and for the listeners who don't know this album yet, yeah. there are a lot of pieces. So when you go on tour, your concerts are going to be about three or four hours long because there'll be so much applauding. Well, I always prefer when you record something to record um, of course, quality, but also quantity. Um, we both know that an album is uh, an introduction of a tour to be played. So just recording 45, 50 minutes is, is literally one half of, of a show when it comes to, to my performances. So uh, I do tend to record um, a little more. And uh, so we can actually really have almost a concert experience uh, on the album already, but of course, uh, tour is always, you know, with, with additional pieces and, and some extras. But I really want the listener to have, um, a, a grand experience. And that's why I tend to record always slightly more. So tell us, who are these golden age violinists that have inspired you to make this album? I grew up with all those amazing recordings of uh the the early recordings i mean we we all know that you know the first violinist the first actual recordings maybe from uh joachim end of the 19th century i mean those are really almost impossible to hear anything on it but the the real recording started uh around 1905 1910 where you can actually listen to wonderful Fritz Kreisler. You can listen to Yasha Heifetz's early recordings. You can re listen to Francescati, to Mielstein. All these great violinists and all young musicians since about two generations. You know, those are everybody's heroes. And I loved listening to these little pieces, which were very, very famous to record in the 20s and 30s. Because technically, it was impossible to put a whole violin concerto on a vinyl. So violinists tend to, uh, in those days to record shorter pieces. You know, you could record maybe two five-minute pieces for one side. So 
there was a wonderful repertoire which became very, very famous of short pieces, beautiful pieces, which were the, the pop songs of, of uh, this era. And as I said, I grew up listening to, to these wonderful encore pieces, as we, we would call them today. And, and th those have always been a, a big part of my repertoire. And for this album, I, of course, researched again and extended this repertoire, which I already had to a certain degree. And I thought it would be a wonderful idea to re-record these pieces, rewrite the arrangements, uh, because I, I love doing that. And I think it always gives my projects a very personal touch. But, you know, they're, they're based on my heroes, on my icons on the violin, and also finding a repertoire which is unique, but also very, very beautiful to listen to. So that was the idea behind it. So what do we know about these violinists? What I mean, as a horn player, of course, I yeah. know the names. I'm familiar yeah. with some of with some of these, and I I notice the difference in things like vibrato. Um, of course, you know, the vibrato yeah. of today is a lot more juicy than the vibrato there. It was sort of yeah. I don't know. They, what what is the actual technical difference between a violinist today and those superstars of the golden age? Well, there are a million things. I mean, let's start with the. Interpretation, because if we, I don't want to get too technical on vibrato. Yes, everybody has a, a different style of vibrato in those days. Of course, there were also different schools. You know, there was the Franco-Belgian school, there was the Eastern Europe school, the Russian school, the American school. So in those days, people weren't listening to all the violinists and and just my my former teacher always says everybody sounds the same these days, which. Kind of, I tend to agree a little but bit. But isn't that wonderful that we have these people from, from the past? You know, it, exactly. also the same. I and mean, they, they uh, were such individuals, these people. Yes. And they, they all came up with their real own violent playing. Uh, of course, they had teachers. There was a school they, they went to. But um, they all had something extremely unique about their sound. Yes, you can debate if you want to use uh, Michaelman vibrato, which is... Very wide. And then he does this... All the time. You can debate if that's actually the, the sound you want to have. Or if you want to have a narrow vibrato like uh, Yasha Heifetz and more bow speed. Or if you want to have like a certain kind of bow pressure, which uh, Fritz Kaiser uses. You know, he does this kind of... Perlman does it like... With a lot of lilt. So there are so many different ways to perform these pieces. Um, you have to find your own. You have to find your own sound, your own vibrato, your own speed of the vibrato, your width of the vibrato, your own pressure of the bow, your speed of the bow, also your intonation. Even intonation can be very personal. There are certain violinists which are wonderfully out of tune, which make them 
their sound unique. Can't you hide all that with vibrato uh, being out of tune? We're always jealous as one uh, players, you know. <laughs> to, to a certain degree, but I would always say everybody has their own perfect intonation. And and that that's something which is which is actually true. And Isaac Stern is always, for me personally, for my ear, a little bit sharp, which makes him undeniable when when you when you listen to anything to him. In the end, um, for me, listening to those violinists when you're young, they were all the inspiration I needed to to really become a violinist myself. And for me, this is my bow, my homage. I to, read to, that to those said, people. I yeah. really like that. You said this is your bow. And what I yeah. I think is amazing is what you're doing, David, is you're creating this new generation of, of passion for yeah. for violin. And maybe the beginners today, they go onto YouTube and they look for yeah. you. They look for, they, they, you know, they, they do. They do in the end. I mean, I, I know they do. And I know a lot of, I tell you a wonderful little story. Wonderful young violinist. I saw her. A performance. I think she. No, I know she was uh, just entering the the Yehudi Menuhin competition like two years ago, and I listened to to a little excerpt, and I was like, "Wow, she can play. She really can play. Fantastic." So you know, sometimes I do that actually a lot. I just look them up on Instagram, and I actually write them a message. Wow. I said, "Wow, no, I do that. It's normal. Come on, if if something impresses me, I write to people." So I wrote her a nice message saying, wow, you're definitely going to win this competition. I'm 100% convinced you're really phenomenal. I got a message back just a few days later or one or two days later saying, oh, I'm such a big fan of yours. And I all listened when I was a kid to your recordings and, and I really love your playing. Long story short, she ended up winning this competition. And she ended up in, up in the last two years having a marvelous career playing with uh, Dudamel, all the great conductors. So she's she's really like on the top of the world right now. And uh, that's know. fantastic. That that's true inspiration work. But what you're also doing is making these young players aware of the tradition they've inherited by these yeah, legendary I, I, violinists. I, I, I do. Although I kind of feel uh, when you start playing the violin, you are aware of, of the traditions and you are aware of, of the recordings. But for me, when it comes to thinking about young violinists, of course, they probably relate a little bit more to me. And if I can open a little bit the door for them to also look at artists which have influenced me, which have inspired me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, that would be, of course the idea behind for them to do a little bit more research beyond me into the classical uh, music world, into the violinist world. Speaking of classical music world, I, I was reading all sorts of things about the album and things you've said. Yeah. And I'm always amazed when interviewers say, so you've come back to your classical roots. I mean, what do they think? A classical violinist, <laughs> is there's no going away from your roots, is there? I've become very patient uh, <laughs> when it comes to interviews because... Especially me, I tend to do about 80-90% of interviews with non-musicians, people who have not really much knowledge about classical music. So you have to be patient and understand that they don't want to hurt you with something like this. Although as a classical musician, the first response would be, are you crazy? <laughs> Are you nuts? Do you not know How what I do you? in the mornings? Exactly. 
that is the first initial reaction. I have to hold back on this. Just knowing out of experience that just they just don't know. So I just sit there, listen to the question, and then come come up with a response which you know doesn't make them sound stupid in their in their question. But in That's the very end, noble of you. But your response would no, be it's, <laughs> my normal response would be, come on, every morning. I wake up. Classical music is 95% of my day. And yes, if I do play a tour with a certain repertoire, still my whole day is based on classical. And yes, I go through the passages, which are more challenging uh, during the nights, during the show. Um, and, and I play them slow, but but my whole day is is, is based on, on, on a very violinistically point of view so i practice from scales to etudes to some caprices some solo bach then i look at things which are ahead of me like months ahead of me which i have to play maybe in march april next year you know i like to always start on the early side when i when i start working on something so there's no way i i could just say oh i'm practicing crossover for which makes no sense because even when I play crossover, it's kind of classical, uh, violinistically classical. Yeah, I mean, you I still don't play, play in tune. I, you exactly. still got to play in tune, make a nice sound. It doesn't matter, Ex you know. Exactly, what you're doing. there is there is really no difference. The standard I have when I play crossover violinistically is the same. Why would it change? That would be ridiculous. So the next question would be, and I'm, you've yeah. been asked this a lot, would be why this, I mean, I can answer it myself because I do the same, playing the horn. It, I love it. And I love playing my symphonies and my Mahler and my, you know, everything we have, Bruckner, but it's not enough for me. I went into another genre and just, you know, tried to learn different ways of playing. And I, I wish pe more people would, would do that in the classical world. One, they'd probably enjoy it. And two, it breaks down these barriers a bit and these stigmas that we have. It's a wonderful way to reach out to, to a new audience. And that's the most important thing. In the end, you are responsible or we are responsible for our audiences. It's like a big company. Also, even if they have a wonderful product, the most wonderful product is not going to be listened to if you don't have advocates who, who um, promote it. You can have the, the, the best meal in the world if you don't talk about it or promote it and, and say how wonderful it is. Nobody will ever uh, try it. So, so it, there's no shame in promoting something. I think I sometimes feel like um, there's still the stigmata of classical musicians that it is shameful to be successful almost. So shameful to, to promote something. No, the music is there. Why would I talk about it? People yes, should let the music people, speak for let itself. The, yeah. <laughs> the music can't speak anymore. The composer is dead. And trust me, the composer would have done promotion for it because if they had you, if Mozart had had YouTube and Instagram. Oh absolutely. My I, I, I think it's important to, it's almost. In Germany, they say Pflicht. It's, it's, it's your responsibility to, to promote music. And you, you do you it kind so of... well. You do that so Thank well. Your you. fans, no, you're so sweet with your fans. And and I saw a video of you signing your, your book recently. Yeah. And the, the, the ladies, you know, the the older ladies wanted to, you know, spend, you talk to them, you spend a bit of extra time and just saying what you did about writing to that, the you know, that violinist. And yeah. it's just such an important part of our, our life these days. That's why I'm oh, always absolutely. happy to find a kindred spirit. <laughs> to be quite honest, it's, it's half of the work. 
I mean, of course, you, you still have to make sure that you, you are on the top of your game. But I think half of the, the, the work is to relate to people, to bring people into your world, at least to try in your very own way. I'm not suggesting to anybody to do what I do, not at all. But I think it's do what you're passionate about. And if it's only playing classical and not endeavoring in anything else, by all means, don't do it. If you like listening to something else than classical music, you know, maybe. But if you have fun with it, don't let your thoughts hold you back. Because I, I looking into the world these days, it's, it's a wonderful time change i also feel i mean even you know like if i look at the the, the la philharmonic concerts where they work with with uh, christina aguilera and billy eilish and, you know it's this would have been to that's be quite gustavo honest, that's really gustavo I, I, changing I know, the world yeah but you know it needs people like that yeah. it needs people like that because it you know they're they're phenomenal orchestra yes but they're also relating phenomenally to the American audience. They're yeah. a big thing in the United States because of that. Yeah. People, Gustavo is a pop star. I, I mean, I play a lot there and, yeah. and I just love seeing him, people f totally flipping out on the street when he goes past. That's so absolutely, nice. Absolutely. But he also worked hard for that and, and came up with working with, first of all, great musicians, great vocalists. It's not that much of a secret mm. to, to kind of relate to audiences. But first of all, you, you have to be able to do it and you have to want to do it. And if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But if you, if you have the interest in it, I think it will really broaden your own mind and it will relate to, to a whole new audience who you then can bring back to, to what you love. I think it's it's a wonderful opportunity. That's what not you to be do. Missed. That's what you do. What you? I mean, you've done your crossover albums, and now suddenly, yeah. after a little bit of you know our Corona yeah. silence and yeah. everything, you've come out with pieces. Okay, they're a little bit arranged, a little bit differently yeah. than than we know them. With your amazing guitarist, oh my goodness, yeah. he's such a superstar. Yeah, he's wonderful. <laughs> I, I really enjoy working with him since many many years. But listen, as I said, also the crossover is part of promoting. This album, it's actually the biggest part of promoting this album. And I'm, I listen, I don't know how, how much or how many people will listen to it, but I have a good feeling a lot of people will be intrigued by it and have a listen if it's on iTunes or, or by the, the album. It's going to be a wonderful door opener, not only for classical music. It's going to be a door opener for the tour with, which then extends to maybe. Uh, a family member just uh, coming along and listening maybe to their first classical concert. So this is all a big movement. Yeah. And uh, let's see how it works this time. I think people listening to this for the first time, or maybe who are who are coming to classical music for the first time, yeah. they have such a smorgasbord. Is that how you say it? You know, this sort of. I have no <laughs> idea. I've never heard this. Word you don't know. Before. Oh, this word it's it's the it's the Scandinavian word for a huge platter of food with all sorts of different things on it. Okay, um, <laughs> smorgasbord. <laughs> okay, they've got an entire collection. Of, yeah. I like. All the, they're showstoppers, every single one of them, even the yeah. slow ones. But I yeah. mean, I just had to mention a couple. Horace Staccato yeah. with Tilbrona. Yeah. I yeah. loved it. Oh my Thank goodness. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, you know, all the collaborations in, in the end, you know, I, I love Deutsche Grand and they're doing an amazing job. 
But in the end, you have to pick up your phone yourself. You know, in the end, I, I called Itzhak, I called Till, I, I called the wife from Andrea Bocelli. Basically, you know, it's, it's the personal relationships which make a good collaboration. Yes, I could have let Dr. Gramofen sort out some people, but it's not the same. People, you know, it is a different spirit if somebody wants to work with you rather than they see it as a promotion tool to, you know how it works in this world, for them to, you know, you do something on my record, I do something on, eh, it's, but it was a, so sweet what you said about <laughs> writing to Itzhak. You said you sent Itzhak, your former teacher, you yeah. sent him uh, an email and you were yeah. scared. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> there, there are still, uh, you know, Itzhak is still like a, you know, a god on the, on the instrument. For me, going to, to him as a, uh, not anymore teenager, but as a young musician, working with him, there, there's uh, the, the biggest admiration to his, his career, to his person. And even now, it's like, like a parent. A teacher is like a parent. Always be your parent and will always be your teacher, no matter how old I am. You know, in 10 years from now, I still be scared writing <laughs> to him a little bit, you know, especially when I have a request. And so, were you yes. worried? Were you worried he might turn you down? Um, yeah. Really? Always. Absolutely. Always. There's, there's always the one sentence nobody wants to hear. You know, it's difficult time for me right now. I have a lot of things to do. You know, it's easy to kind of like, you know, I had the, the weirdest, I had some weird turndowns in my life. It was, Haven't we it was, all? <laughs> you know, I, I even once had, you know, I wrote this song for, for a singer, a very famous German singer, uh, not classical music, well, pop. And, and it was a very, very good song. And he calls me back. And this was, by the way, the best way to cancel a collaboration. He calls me up and says, David, David, um, this, this is this wonderful song. This, this is genius comp uh, composition. Uh, I love it to death. And I think, okay, this, I'm is going very, <laughs> this, is, this is going very well. And then he's like, but, you know, I have two projects right now. And, you know, if I do this, this is going to be a huge success. It's, I'm afraid of the success of this thing. This is going to be too big of a success oh, for me no. to handle. I mean, it's kind of genius, don't you think? I mean, I ended up putting the phone down and, and kind of like in, in the middle of two emotions. First of all, what the fuck just happened? And second of all, I kind of feel he gave me a compliment, but on the other hand, uh, I can't use anything of that. <laughs> genius. Thank you. This was really genius. Well, his loss, his loss. But Itzak didn't say no. no and you no, play no. a beautiful Shostakovich yeah. duet, but you did it remotely. Do you think you'll have a chance to perform it together? I, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, it, it wasn't was not possible to record it any other way at that point. You know, he was very adamant about he's going to record the part uh, first, which I totally agreed because he has the first violin and then... I went back into the studio and we recorded the second violin. I, That's I, I have, hard. That's as a second horn. I know how hard that is because you, if you're playing live with someone, you adjust naturally. But if someone's laid it down already on a track, tuning and everything—that's your responsibility. It's it's yeah, but you know I'm a responsible musician, so for me that <laughs> oh, is yes, not not of much of a. It's it's I w won't say it's easy, but you know it's absolutely doable and, and not a big problem when you are a violin. But I have to say, it's like also asked, you know, could I hear the arrangement first? You know, you know, he's, he didn't just say, 
you know, no problem. You know, he said, send me over the arrangement. And then, of course, when you send over the arrangement, that was the email I was referring to. You're like, Ooh, hopefully he likes the arrangement. <laughs> you know, because that's very personal. Yeah, no, very. And Andrea Bocelli, he said yes straight away as well. He actually came back with a, a definite yes without, without hearing the arrangement. So thank you, Andrea. Well, I guess he, did, he has sung the tune a few times in his life. Now, he, he has also worked with me a few times in the past for recordings. And I think there was already a little bit more trust established what arrangement concerns. So I was very happy to to send him uh, the, the final arrangement over he did it in his studio in italy and, and then, the video is lovely too yeah i, I tried to kind of yeah. you know especially with i asked Itzak if he could you know play it once through and have the camera roll and then i used the video footage which was basically just you know one angle so what i did in the end it would have been just boring so i kind of asked the guy who helped me to zoom into his left hand and zoom into the violin, zoom in into his face. So in the end, from one video of Itzak, we ended up making five videos. We had the close-up hand shot. We had the close-up violin bow right hand shot. We had the face, uh, you know, close-up face. Um, so so in, we made the best out of one simple video and then I thought black and white would look nice, you know. So, so, so each video, same with Bocelli, you know, we had two camera angles, and I, I said, well, it's it's kind of not boring, but it's it it makes more sense to kind of zoom in and and make it look like there were five six cameras at the so same time. So you're really hands on, and not just the music, but in all the production and oh, the video absolutely. and the editing, and it, you don't just let Deutsche Grammophon get on with it. No, I do that. 99% myself. I direct the camera crew. I make sure, you know, I, I, you know, every shot I check, I check the lights because I had bad experience in the past uh, from people not making sure the lights are good. Lights um, are everything. <laughs> yeah. And they, they tend to be always on the dark side. You know, you can always darken it, but can, you can never brighten it. It will always look shitty to be quite honest. So I'm very hands-on. I mean, in the end, Dr. Gramophon planned two videos. Uh, one day of, of recording two videos and maybe performance shots of like, you know, two or three. I ended up basically pushing them to do 12. Yeah, which and I've is, seen them all. <laughs> ah, have you seen all of them? I don't know. Well, all the ones they sent me anyway, there's some that's, that are still, no, still yeah, yeah, going to come out. I, I, I There are still a lot coming out oh, over okay. the next two months. And no, I, I was very smart about it, you know, because I was touring also the last two months. And I was asking Dr. Grafen to call uh, Universal to call their local, for instance, in Mexico. And Estrelita is on it, which is beautiful Mexican it tune. It starts. Which, it's the which, opening number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which Yasha Heifetz made very, very popular. So I asked Dr. Grafen to contact Mexico Universal, saying, I'm there, invited to the concert. But David Garrett has a request. Let's record Estrelita in, in the, it was a beautiful Art Deco Café in Mexico City. So two hours before the show, I go over there, have the camera crew ready. They know my um, uh, my, my Anweisungen. <laughs> <laughs> my directions. <laughs> my directions. And we shoot a video quickly before uh, the concert. So in the end, the local Mexican Universal crew felt involved in this record. That's a positive. They know about the record. They wanted to also be involved in it. So I get a video 
in quotations, not for, well, for free, sort of. And uh, it's a win-win scenario. And I did that in Paris with Universal France, with the DBC piece. DBC. So in the end, I, I, I'm very lucky that I traveled that much because I could pull all the local Universal teams, you know, smartly into this project. Yeah. No, well, they certainly have a lot to choose from. I mean, do you have a favorite? Do you have a couple of favorites? I mean, I know you said if you could have coffee with any past musician, you'd like it to be Paganini. But and I and he done you've done his Moto Perpetuo, which I I, I, I do you ever breathe during that piece? I was uh, like, <laughs> if you are, if you honestly, if you play this on stage, no, <laughs> you turn blue by the end. No, it's really one of those pieces. You know, I, I still have nightmares performing Perpetuum Mobilis because I started doing this very, very young. I started doing, I think, the Reese Perpetuum Mobile when I was about seven or eight years old. Then it went on to the Novacek Perpetuum Mobile, which is a little harder. Did perform this with nine. And then with age 10, 11, the Paganini Perpetuum Mobile was on my music stand. And I performed this many, many times at this age. And every time I tell you, I, I haven't played it on stage in many, many years, but I remember every time as a kid, your pulse really is more, more up. It's just really a long piece with a hell of a lot. There's no notes. break at all. It's no, like it's, it's unbelievable. It's really. throttle. I, <laughs> it's fantastic. I'm sure the listeners are going to love that. But I mean, I, there you, it's impossible to ask you uh, to pick a favorite. It's like your babies, you know, you can't. Yes. Uh, it, uh, none of them. Very, very hard. I, I probably would tend to go with the, the collaborations because for me, there are, those are the the moments. I don't know if you have these moments still. I'm, I'm very childish when it comes to this in, in a good way, you know, if somebody writes back and says, yes, let's do it. You know, that's the moment when I'm like, yay, Christmas, New Year, birthday. Kokomi we had too, playing yes, the flute Kokomi, with you. Ab- absolutely. For, as, as I said, for me, people getting back saying, yeah, let's do it. That those are the moments. So probably I have to go with the, with the collaborations. David, you need a horn. I'm sorry. I, I've just got to say it. I need, I need a horn. You need a horn. That's your horn challenge. You need a horn on the next one. We have to do something. Do, I don't know. Do you think Horace Staccato would have been possible? <laughs> oh, I would have given it a good Sarah, go. I don't, I don't think I could have done work. it as, as well as Till. He's got the real jazz. But I could do you. I could do you a Cuban version of it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, well, there we go. That is nice. We'll, and then we'll dance in the in the bits where you're playing. So uh, there no, you go. Absolutely, we, we should. We There's have my to. Offer. We must. We must, Sarah. We must. <laughs> David, you've been absolutely amazing. And I, if people listening, if they haven't listened to your album yet, they're going to be rushing out to get it in droves or getting onto Spotify or wherever they listen to their 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 music from. Can you tell us? It's a typical interviewer question, but what's coming up next? Because you you recorded your first album with. Deutsche Grammophon, age 14. And now, a few years later, you're back to your roots, as they say. But I know you. There's crazy stuff coming up. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm going to promote this record for the next two, two months until just right before uh, Christmas, which is very close to my heart because, it's, as I said, it's very important to do both. Not only record good music, but then also grind to make this a successful record and that's up to you that's you know put 
put the energy in there. And that's what I'm going to do for the next uh, two months. Then I will start working on the tour concept. I mean, I already have a lot of ideas written down and there's a release concert here in Berlin on the 12th of November, where I play almost half of the record anyway. I so I, I'm not here. I want to go. I'm ah, so sorry. I, I just wanted to say, please come by. Thank I still you. have two tickets. Oh, no. So I would have, <laughs> would have given one out here. Anyway, so... But you're so coming back a, to the Philharmonie in May, I saw. Yes. yes You'll be there yes, in that's, May. that's the idea to be uh, touring uh, next year. And, and to be quite honest, next year is going to be difficult. Like we're going to play in Australia for the first time, New Zealand. We're going to Tainan, Taiwan, Japan, China. We're going to uh, Korea. We are planning to go to Madrid, to Spain, Barcelona. All with um, of iconic? Course, all with iconic. South America, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Canada. We're planning. We're going to do, uh, of course, Eastern Europe, Romania, we're going to play in Poland. Warsaw uh, tickets just got into uh, online to be purchased. Scandinavia, Copenhagen, Göteborg. So I think there will be about, let me not exaggerate, but about maybe 70 to 80 uh, classical shows next year. In, oh, my goodness. International. So. David, you're so cool. You're well, so cool. you know, you got to, <laughs> as I said, you got to grind. You know, there's, that's, that's what you have to do. There's no other way, but it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it, you know, because I don't want to say this album gives me Narrenfreiheit, as they say in Germany. But Narrenfreiheit. We have to translate that for our, um, uh, permission to be... To, to, to be, do whatever I want. To do whatever afterwards. you want, yeah. Because I have a project in my mind. I, I need a good classical record before I do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear uh, about it. And thank you yeah. so much for being with us today on the thank International you, Podcast. Really, it means a lot. Also for Deutsche Grammophon, because, you know, that's that's where you started. Absolutely. And, uh, and it's so nice to see you. I have the LP in my hand here to see this iconic yellow label and with your beautiful picture on it. I like seeing it too. <laughs> it's always, no, I mean, let's, let's face it. You know, I, I started with Deutsche Grammophon and um, that was an incredible, incredible situation uh, signing with 13 years with, with such a label. I mean, it's, I'm still until this day the youngest artist they ever signed. And uh, of course, it's it brings back a lot of emotions um, recording for Deutsche Grammophon again. And to be quite honest, I, I really wanted to deliver something special, something successful for them because many, many decades back, they put their trust in me and uh, it's time to uh, pay back. That's a wonderful Schlusswort, uh, a final <laughs> statement for this podcast. David Garrett, thank you so much for being my guest today and good luck with all the touring. And I hope to get to be able to see it live somewhere in the world very Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks, David. One more thing. If you enjoyed today's podcast with David Garrett and would like to hear future episodes or catch up on past episodes with equally fabulous guests, then do subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts from. I'm Sarah Willis. It's been great being with you and hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.